wanted his tradition, what he was doing as a prophet, to be handed down after he's taken to heaven. And Elisha, and we have two names, Elijah is the old, mount, the old prophet, and Elisha is his student. They're similar, but they're different, aren't they? One's got a J, the other's got an S-H-A, S-H-A ending. So it's, uh, keep that important. And, and young people, I'm telling you that because the audience needs to know it too, okay? Uh, it's a neat story. We're going to talk about that. God funneled his power through Elijah, through his coat, his robe that he had on. The Bible calls it a mantle. Can you give me another example of in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, where God used an item to funnel his power? Yes, sir. Oh, man. (laughs) That's a good one, isn't it? That's a very good one. Good job. Can you think of anything else? Wow. Perfect. We're going to see Moses. Moses? Who's knocking at the door? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, kids. Well, good morning, Moses. Good morning. Hey, that door comes in handy, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> hey, Moses, we're in a situation where we're telling the, the children here today about how God used power through different objects to show his children, the, the Israelites, and the Egyptians what he could do. Can you kind of expand on that? How did God use power through you? Well, I want to back up a little bit. You know, years ago, before I was even around, God made promises to a man named Abraham that his descendants would be a great nation, that all the nations would be blessed through him. Through, And so that turned out to be Jesus eventually coming through those people. But when I was about 80 years old, all of those people were slaves in Egypt. And I was out in the desert. I was a shepherd. And one day when I was walking around, I saw a bush that was on fire. And I walked up to look at that bush, and suddenly God started speaking to me through that bush. Even though the bush was on fire, it wasn't burned up by the fire. And I was really afraid. And God told me that his plan was to rescue the people out of Egypt. And I was afraid to get involved with him, but he wanted me to speak to Pharaoh, to speak to the Israeli people, and tell them what God's plan was. But I kept arguing with God and said, no, find somebody else. So God said, what's that in your hand? And it was my staff. Yep. You're exactly right. (laughs) God told me to throw it on the ground. And when I threw it on the ground, it turned into a snake. And when that happened, I was afraid again. And God told me, he said, grab it by the tail. And when I grabbed it by the tail, it turned into my staff again. Some of you guys know the story already. That's really neat. And then as time went on, God did a bunch more miracles, some of them using my staff, and some of them even using my brother Aaron's staff to create miracles that eventually convinced Pharaoh to let the Israeli people go. So that's just some of the ways. 
It's amazing, Moses. Is that a magical staff? No, it's not. You know, God used this staff, and he even used my brother Aaron's staff Mm -hmm. to do miracles to accomplish his purpose. Thank you, Moses. Hey, children or young adults, do you have any questions for Moses? Thank you for listening. You go ahead. When I died? You'll have to check. (laughs) I was really old. I was over, I think over, do you know that story? From a movie, yeah. They made a movie about that. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> I'm 72 now. So. <laughs> Thank you, Moses. Okay. One more question. Well, then I, that I can tell you. I was about 80 years old at that yeah. time. So I was a pretty old man then. Yeah. That is pretty old. Okay. Do you guys well, know who Moses is, who, who's playing the part of Moses here? Does anybody know who this man is? <laughs> You're exactly right again. You're some smart kids. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. It didn't burn. Okay, guys, I hate to tell you, but you have to go back to your families. <laughs> I have the uh, the uh, great honor of introducing Teresa and I's oldest son, Joe. He's a missionary in Ukraine. She pointed out the flag. It's pretty special when you look at these, all the nations of the world, all the flags that are displayed here. And you know, you have a son there serving. But uh, Joe and Dasha, his wife since June the 12th, have prepared a video that we're going to be able to see. Hi, First Baptist Bayfield, it's Joe. I know it's been a while. Um, I want to introduce you to the answer to a lot of your prayers. This is my wife, Dasha. Um, It still feels a little weird saying the sentence, this is my wife, but it's finally true. God works miracles. So um, we wanted to, we heard dad was preaching today and we wanted to um, give him a little less time to talk and we wanted to give you a little bit of update about our ministry here in Ukraine. Um, So the The thing that probably takes up most of our time is um, our ministry at school. We teach at a Christian school here in Ukraine, and it's a really unique school. I've never been anywhere quite like it. Um, It's about 60% of our kids come from Christian families, but 40% come from non-believing families. Um, and, And really, it's, you know, we do everything we can to keep the cost of the school really low. So it's, um, most of these families wouldn't have the opportunity to send their kids to a private school. They would be just in Ukrainian public schools, which still have a lot um, kind of left over from the Soviet system of education. They're not really happy places or places where creativity is encouraged and certainly not places where the gospel is taught the way we try to teach it. Um, so 
I'll finally stop talking for a second and let you hear my wife's voice. Um, Dasha, what do you teach at school? Uh, so our kids in elementary school uh, study half of the day in English program and half of the day on Ukrainian program. So I teach first and second Ukrainian part. Um, and this year I've kind of um, been teaching a lot of different things. I've been teaching fifth, sixth, and seventh grade science and Bible and life skills and I'm kind of like our middle school principal, coordinator, something like that. Um, and so, so it's been a busy year there at school, but, but we just wanted to tell you um, a couple of quick stories about our ministry um, and just kind of to give you an idea of what, what makes our school a little bit unique. Um, tell you this strange little story. We um, did, they, my kids were taking a science test and just for fun at the end of the science test, I, I gave them a chance um, just to draw a picture of um, one of the things we'd been talking about in science. And so they all drew their pictures. And then the plan was for the, the start of the next science class, I was going to show their pictures on a presentation and they would guess whose was whose. Well, um, we get through the presentation and there's one kid saying, well, Mr. Reamers, um, which that's a weird thing. Kids call me Mr. Reamers yeah. now. Why didn't you show my picture? Um, well, I didn't see your picture. Well, it turns out he had drawn his picture with whiteout on a white piece of paper, and so I hadn't seen it. But his mom, and by the way, this is a non-believing family, his mom writes me a message that night at probably about 11.30, mm -hmm. um, and you know, kind of upset, you know, why didn't you show my son's presentation? He, um, he feels like, you know, you don't care about him anymore. Um, and so, you know, what ended up happening is the, the next day, um, was a was a Saturday and, and I went for a, a walk with this middle schooler and we went and got some ice cream and I kind of got to explain the situation and talk to him. And, you know, that wasn't the only situation. It's been kind of a hard year with this kid. Um, and so we went and talked about it and he apologized for the way he'd been at school this year. He said, I don't know, maybe it's just becoming a teenager, but I do all kinds of things this year that I don't understand. Um, and so I guess I just remember, you know, even when I was in school, it was like if I would see one of my teachers outside of school, it was like something felt wrong. Like you'd see a teacher in the grocery store and be like, hey, you buy groceries? What are you doing here? Or not living at school. <laughs> yeah, you don't live at school. And so, um, but, but really our school kind of encourages building relationships with kids um, and, and specifically kind of educating the whole person. And there's a spiritual side of that. To, and so, you know, when I came over here, I wasn't planning to teach at a school, but I found this school and it really does feel like ministry. It feels like evangelism, what we do there. Um, the, the other thing, of course, um, we, we still spend some time working with kids from the orphanage system here in Ukraine. We volunteered some at a program this summer where, um, where kids who have um, aged out of the orphanage system, we're being trained to be baristas. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we volunteer there. We don't know how to make coffee, but we know how to speak English. So we, we train them some in speaking English. But we also, um, with some of the kids from the transition home, where, where kids can live when they've aged out of the orphanage system, and with some, some older teenagers who are still living um, there at, at the orphanage, uh, we went on a backpacking trip this summer. Um, most of you know Daniel Ross. He kind of led that, and we went with him. Um, and Dasha had a really experience, really interesting experience with one of the girls in, um, she kind of spent some of the nights in the tent with. Mm -hmm. So 
it was a hard day and we've been walking all day with heavy backpacks and by the end of the day we all were tired just ready to go to bed and uh, to tents i should say uh, so we were there getting ready to sleep and she started talking this girl her name is alina and she started telling all these hard stories for from her life and she went through a lot of really really hard situations but i was so tired and she kept talking for like 30 minutes or more and i was just laying there like mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, barely listening and i think the interesting thing happened next day right well yeah so it's really funny because you know dasha that morning had kind of told me like oh i was just ready to sleep and alina just kept talking and talking and talking and then we're we're walking the next day and alina comes up to us um and and says to dasha in ukrainian like basically like oh, doesn't it feel so good when you tell someone something that you haven't told anyone else before doesn't it feel so much easier um mm -hmm. and so it was just you know it's just a small example of um one of the things we we try to do is just um you know try to build relationships with with these kids who often feel forgotten and often mm -hmm. feel looked over um and and often don't have someone safe who they feel like they can talk to about some of these these hard things that they've been through and and someone who can who can hopefully then point them towards god every every evening on that trip we sit around the campfire and kind of have a a devotion um so you know it's of course it's it's hard to tell you in a, a short video that's already not becoming very short as i look at the clock here about um but everything we do here in ukraine i mean we've started a, a youth group here through our school um there just seems like we're we're very busy but um but god is working we we would like to ask you though to pray about a few things that we're praying about um the, the first thing is that right now, um, due to COVID, Kyiv is in a lockdown and, and schools are all online right now. So we've been teaching over Zoom this last week. Um, that's not ideal for a lot of reasons. Um, just academically, the kids don't learn as much, but but like you might've just, just heard from what we talked about, you know, we're not really just about the academics at our school um, and that that relationship building, that that one-on-one -on -one time with the kids or that time in small groups, um, you can't really do when you can't meet in person. So so we just ask that you'd pray for the situation here in Kyiv that, that COVID cases would go down and that we'd, we'd be able to, to meet in person again soon. Um, we'd also like to um, ask for prayer that we can start doing camps again sometime soon. We haven't gotten to do our camps with kids from the orphanage for a while because of um, COVID restrictions, but, but that's something we love doing. It was always a ministry highlight for, for me and, and just like to ask for prayer that, that that's something that could start up again soon. Um, and the last thing is we'd, we'd like you to pray that, um, that you can meet this wonderful woman in person. Um, we i'm planning to come home this summer and and we are hoping and praying that that's something that we can do together but i, I need to come home on furlough and um i think that would be a wonderful opportunity for for a lot of you to meet dasha and dasha to meet a lot of you and so many people there who are so important to me but right now um those those visas that we need aren't open um 
and there's really no indication on when they might be open again. And so we're, we're just praying that, that in God's timing, those will be open so that we can come home together and you can finally meet my better half. But anyway, um, we love you, um, especially those of us who have met you, but, um, but I know Dasha's is friends with a few of you on Facebook already. Um, and we look forward to the day when we can come give you a hug in person, but we're, we're praying for you and, and we look forward to the day we can see you again soon. Take care. We love you. Bye. Uh, a lot of you, especially the older members here, know Joe well. Uh, Teresa and I moved, our family moved here. Uh, he started first grade at the school system, literally raised in this church system, the old building, um, accepted Christ at a Hesper's camp uh, as a teenager, I believe. Um, he actually served, uh, got his four-year communications degree. Um, Pastor Randy said he had a, you know, I have a, a feel that maybe you ought to be the next youth minister here. And Joe, that wasn't on his ticket, but he prayed about it and thought about it, and God pointed him in that direction. He was youth minister here for a good while. Um, he's done what God wants him to do. Corner Teresa and I, we can tell you all kinds of kids' stories. We can tell you all kinds of stories of what they're doing in Ukraine. But uh, as I said earlier, we've got a pretty full plate. The one thing I will point out is that um, everything that he does at this Christian school or the orphanage or whatever, he doesn't receive a salary. They can do this by missionaries like him coming in that are self-funded. And he's sincerely, and Dasha is sincerely appreciative of the support they get from people. Um, as you're turning to 2 Kings chapter 2, we're going to be looking, as I said, verses 1 through 14. Let me give you a little bit of a background about the subject I'm going to be dealing with. On uh, October 20th, uh, my Aunt Isa passed away. It's my young, mom's youngest sister, a phenomenal Christian lady. Uh, she's married to Uncle Ken, Ken, Ken Arnold. Uh, my first memory as a child quite possibly as a four-year-old is their wedding. We were living out in remote New Mexico and we drove, mom got us all dressed up. We drove into Durango and I never had been in a church setting like that, that I know of anyway that I can remember. And that wedding was just remarkable. I remember how beautiful she was and, and just that service. God has placed that couple in so many people's lives, including myself, in a way where they're mentors that they don't even realize they are. And that's what this service is about. She died of throat cancer. She was in a situation where I'm sure she was in a tremendous amount of pain, but you couldn't tell it. She had a relationship with God, with Christ, that was so close that it was unbelievable. Very, very unique. Teresa and I talked to brother, or my uncle Ken and Aunt Isa. I'm guessing before she passed away. And a comment that Teresa made at the end of that conversation said everything. She said, I could hear her smile. Yeah. You won't see any pictures of her. You won't see her in person without the normal smile on her face. She radiated God. My Uncle Ken, I found out recently, he told me, uh, he, he knew that I was the chaplain at the county jail, that, you know, Bill and I are doing work there. I should say Moses and I are doing work. 
But uh, he said, you know, that's how I got started. In high school in Durango, he actually uh, would teach Bible studies at the Durango jail. I think it was at a different location than where it is now. But he said, well, I would bring in other high school students. And Ann Isa was one of those students that was actually there with them. That mantle, that cloak that is passed down to us has a connection that's just unbelievable. To think that I am serving, trying to serve, doing the same thing that he did, is just amazing how God works. On the day that his mother died, my cousin Ken uh, posted on Messenger this story, and I'll read it to you. Do you know the story of the mantle in the Bible? The mantle was an outer clothing. Elijah the prophet wore such a garment. When he was taken up into heaven, Elisha, Elijah's mentoree, requested that Elijah would let him have his mantle, symbolizing that the Spirit of God that rested on Elijah would also rest on him. As I sat with my awesome mother, taking the early morning shift, I've been reading the book of Esther, and in the book of Ruth, both heroines of the Old Testament in the Bible. My dad comes in and starts reading his Bible. The reason I'm emotional here is that, I mean, for a lot of reasons, but 2020, from March until, until the, uh, his death in October, on October 11th, the six of us kids provided 24-7 coverage for my dad. He had dementia. It was progressively getting worse. We realized that mom needed help. And for that many months, we, we helped them as much as we could. There's probably a biblical connotation for big family. I was so thankful that there were six of us to do that. But a lot of times I had the morning watch. And there was nights that I got a full night's sleep, and there was nights that it was a nightmare. <laughs> and you, you deal with it. I can picture what they were doing with my aunt. What my cousin Ken wrote was seven points. He said, to be totally yielded to God, he wants that mantle of his parents to fall onto him. He wants to be totally yielded to God, to be faithful in all things, to surround myself with winners, to be led by the Spirit of God, to be faithful as a husband and father, to see every person as a gift from our Creator, to pass on to my wife and my children and all those that I mentor the mantle that was given to me. If all you know about my, my cousin Ken is these seven points, that mantle has been dropped on him, hadn't it? On Messenger, the comments were telling him that. That's happening, Ken. It's happening to all the kids. It's happening to Brenda. To, you can see that in Christy. You can see it in the, in the children. Anybody that was associated with, with Aunt Isa, you see that she had that kind of an influence on him. Again, 2 Kings 2, 1 through 14. Let's read those verses. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as our, your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elijah and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? 
And he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. Verse 4, then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take you away, your mas- away from your master today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. Three times he repeats this. But he said, As, your Lord, as the Lord lives and as our, your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And the fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what may I do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. And he also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. We're going to spend some time going through those verses individually. There's so much truth to what God has done through Elijah, passing on that that mentor, that coat, that mantle to to Elisha. But let's set the stage here, first of all. This next picture is a picture, the picture of Israel as a country, uh, slide eight. Teresa and I were there for our 25th wedding anniversary. It was actually after the anniversary. It was the gift that we gave each other. The nation of Israel is interesting. How many of you have been there? If you get a chance, you really need to do it. It's, a, it's amazing. Uh, put it in perspective, the, just the geography or what you're dealing with. At its widest point, Israel is 70 mi- 71 miles wide. It's its longest point, it's 260 miles long. They compare it to the state of New Jersey. Israel is in the news for so many different things, but it's such a tiny, small country. If you know anything about my background, I'm a petroleum engineer. I spent most of my career working oil and gas-related stuff. Israel is unique from the standpoint they're surrounded by oil everywhere, but guess what? God hadn't blessed them with any of it. There's some natural gas they've discovered, I believe, offshore. 
But what I would rather be doing sometimes than standing in front of you talking to you is being over there trying to help them find that. <laughs> that's my background. That's my training. If you look at the, the map on the right, we're going to be talking specifically about the setting of this story. The setting is in Gilgal and Jericho, just above the Dead Sea and between there and the uh, Sea of Galilee. Go back to the small map, and one of the things that amazed me about Israel was the water situation. I know I've mentioned this in the uh, home, uh, the Bible studies that we have in the Taylor's house, in the house church. But the Sea of Galilee is, of course, famous in the Bible. Jesus walked on water there. We know what happened at the Dead Sea with things there. A lot of Israel is below sea level. Uh, Dead Sea is extremely below sea level. The water that comes into the Sea of Galilee comes in through the Jordan River, goes into the lake, comes out as the Jordan River running between the two. Um, unique thing about it is, is that the, the flow of that water is both the, the rain and the snow melt that feeds it, but also some sig very significant artesian springs. We went to one, I believe, at Dan. It was just un unbelievable with the amount of water that was coming out that supplied that lake. Truly a gift from God for a country that needs water. It's a barren country without that, and so much of it is just coming out of the ground for them. They have a big issue going over there now with the, the salinity of the water. They see that the Dead Sea is actually being fed by artesian flow within the lake, but it's extremely salty water. They've seen other streams that are polluting the Jordan River, other springs that are, that are feeding salty water, and they're diverting that away there. They're trying to protect their fresh water. Back to Gilgo and Jericho, Gilgal and Jericho. The setting is here where Elijah is going to ascend into heaven and pass on his mantle. This is also pretty close to the site where Jesus was baptized. We went to a site that when you really researched it, and I think they even kind of told us at the time, heavily vegetated nice, that this is, if you want to be baptized where Jesus was baptized, this is it. Most historians, most scholars will tell you it's not even really close to it. Where Jesus was baptized was centered where John the Baptist was. John the Baptist ate locusts for a reason. There wasn't nothing else around there. It's desert. It's in the middle of nowhere. So it's much, much closer to the Dead Sea. Gilgal and Jericho are noted for being basically college towns. It's hard to picture that in biblical times, isn't it? But one of the commentaries I read said that if you, if you think of it in modern terms, this is where young Bible-leaning students were taught by the old prophets in these two towns. It's where they mentored them. It's where Elijah was mentoring Elisha. Elijah tells Elisha, stay here. This is in verses 2 uh, through 6. Three times he tells him to stay here. You know, most of the things that I read and that I agree with was this was a test for Elisha. Are you really a believer? Are you really a follower? Are you going to do this? Or if I tell you not to, are you going to walk away? And every time he answers, <laughs> you know, hey, I made you a promise. I made a vow. I'm going to stick this out is to determine the faithfulness of Elisha. What else do we know about Elijah? He's a prophet. He did a lot in the, the Old Testament. Anybody have a clue what happened in the New Testament with him? Turn, if you will, to Luke 9, 28 through 31. 
be slide nine. Again, Luke 9, 28 through 31. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, James, and John and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Uh, the next slide is an artist's rendition, and I don't think it's ex very accurate, but at the time I was putting this together, it, it was probably the best I could find. It's like everything you do. If you spent more time at it, you could probably do better. I want to qualify this. This isn't a painting from God. This isn't a painting from Elijah. This is man's Im impression of what was happening there. You see on the foreground, you see on the bottom, the inner circle, Peter, James, and John just overwhelmed with what's going on with, with the transfiguration of Christ. Uh, Colby has mentioned it many times here. Any time that there's an appearance of something not of this world, whether that's an angelic with angels or even Jesus itself, we're in awe of that. We can't handle it. It's, it's, it scares us almost. To the uh, sides of Jesus, you have Moses that's depicted on the left-hand side. What's probably not factual about what Moses is carrying? The Ten Commandments? <laughs> I don't know. He broke those. They were, those were destroyed, weren't they? You know, I don't know all the facts, but I don't think it was really something that may have occurred in the Transfiguration. The image of Elisha has a mantle over his shoulder. The significance of this is that the prophet Elijah, Moses, were important enough to be so highly favored God picked them to be with this transfiguration. You know, sometimes society, sometimes people get caught up in, you know, with Mary, highly favored Mary, being referred to sometimes as even the mother of God, which in a roundabout way she is. She's highly favored. Can I, can I make a claim that these two people were highly favored also? They were set aside in what they were doing. In 2 Kings 2, verse 5, there's another significant thing here. It says, do you know that the Lord will take away your master? The take away thing here is the thing that we're concentrating on. The Hebrew verb used for take away is the same verb that describes the, the process when Enoch was taken away. Genesis 5.24. These are the only two people that, you know, in recorded biblical history that went to heaven without a physical death. And it's the same verb. There's significance in that. You've got Genesis, you've got 2 Kings, but they use the exact same word. Um, my aunt didn't go through that type of non-death experience, but she got awful close. There seem things, a couple of things that we need to, to probably define when you're understanding this story. In the Holman Bible Dictionary, the Sons of Prophets uh, is described as this. I knew when I was putting this together, I was probably going to say the sons of the pioneers. I got that out of the way. Members of a band or guild of prophets. Sons of, the sons of refers to membership in a group or class and does not imply a family relationship. It suggests a community or, or guild of prophets. In that community that Elijah was operating in, he had support base. 
in, in a way of looking at this, most theologians will say Elijah and Elisha were the head of that guild. They were the head of the sons of the prophets. They were there to support them, but they were following their ministry and supporting them. The other thing is a slide 12 here is the meaning of the mantle. We've explained that, I think, pretty well to the kids. But the mantle is referred to as the outer garment that the prophets were wearing, pretty common in biblical times. And uh, that was significant. It was uh, something that was there. God chose that garment to illustrate the power that Elijah had. He could have done it for any number of things, but he chose it with the mantle. The image that you have then in verse 8, you know, picture in your mind how this one is going to develop. Um, chapter 2, verse 8. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Moses had the staff. He had the rod. Elijah had the mantle. It's kind of hard to picture how you would roll that up and have the same effect on it but the Bible is very specific. The unique part about this is, is the Bible is very specific that it was divided this way and that. And I think in that aspect, this artist has, has done a, a pretty good example of that. Where you see the slide on this slide that you're actually seeing that the wall of water is random. It's not the wall of water that we picture at the, the Red Sea when Moses and the Israelites cross. It's uh, it's the Bible is very specific. It repeats it even then later on when Elijah does that. It was divided this way and that. Through Moses, God parted the Red Sea. Through Elijah, through Elisha, and through Joshua, God parted the Jordan River. Um, these things sometimes, if you know, I'm a novice when it comes to really understanding the Bible in so many ways. But the, uh, they repeat. You see different times when the same miracle is done with different people. Verse 12. And Elijah saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them with two pieces. Elisha is talking about the ascension of Elijah. This picture of I like it. It's dramatic. It's very flamboyant. Uh, most theologians will look at something like this, and their thought on it is, is that more than likely angels came down with the chariot and with the horses and picked up Elijah. The Bible's not specific about that. It could be either way. But again, on any of these drawings and pictures, be sure you realize that this is man's attempt to recreate what was there. What was the significance of tearing the clothes? I think most of you know this. In, in, in biblical times, in the Old Testament times, if you wanted to mark an event, you tore your clothes. And that's what Elisha did. He marked what had just happened. When the Bible says, then it happened, take note. <laughs> Something big's coming down. It's, it's, it's happening. It's going to be there. In the King James Version, the, the, uh, the process of this way and that is replaced with these words, hither and thither. I like that. I wish in some ways some of the translations would keep it. The water parted hither and thither. Just an interesting point. 
verse 9. So it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what may I do for you before I am taken away? I put myself in that position. What would I have asked for? Elijah said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall, be, it shall not be so. What he's saying is this is God's decision. But if, if these things happen, then he gave him the conditions of where really God was ended or not. And then as we said, then it happened. It's there. You see the, the chariot of fire and you see the horses on fire. A pretty dramatic event. Teresa and I had an interesting conversation the other day about this. If there was a crowd of people around that watching it, who would have been able to see that? It could easily be that God chose only certain people to see that event. I think that happens to us all the time, where God right now can choose us to see things that other people aren't seeing. Elisha saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, he knows that mantle has been passed on. The mantle is dropped to him. In verse 13, he says, he took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and he went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And the first thing he does is, do I have the power or not? Do I have the power that God funneled through Elijah? He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen and he struck the water and said, where is the Lord of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and he crossed over on dry land. It's a kid, it's a story we've learned since probably BBS or Sunday school, but the dramatic part of it is unbelievable, isn't it? It's something that God speaks to us no matter where we are in life. There's some interesting points here. It seems like in this passage that everyone seems to know that Elijah is going to be taken up to heaven. I mean, you can list the people, the sons of the prophets, Elijah, Elijah. The one thing that's unique about this, was there any fear on anybody's part? Was there any remorse on anybody's part? I don't believe it's recorded if it was. There definitely was no fear on Elijah's part. My aunt had no fear of death. It was a transition from this life to her life in heaven. There was no fear whatsoever. Lord, help me that I may be there. May I be at a point where, God, when you're through with me, I'm ready. That's exactly where she is at. Elisha asked for a double portion of the spirit upon him. What's the significance of that? In biblical times, a man's principal heir received a double portion of the material goods. I think it's a tradition that is somewhat removed from our society, but even in, as a small child, I know that the oldest child always got more. If property was involved, a lot of times he got the farm. He got the, he got the property. In biblical times, he got twice as much as the other heirs. Elisha requested a double portion, not of Elijah's property, but of his spirit. The spirit represents the energizing power chartering Elijah's ministry. Elisha wanted God's empowerment more than he wanted his wealth. Historians, uh, theologians have shown, and we've looked at these, and it's a matter of how you, how you classify miracles, but the recorded miracles of, of Elijah You'll see accounts of that where Elisha has twice as many. Now, part of those miracles are, are a prophecy. Well, to me, that is a miracle. If I can prophesy something that happens and it's recorded, that's a miracle, isn't it? 
But one way or the other, how you look at that, that promise that God gave to Elisha is there. He, he did a, whether they're recorded or not, he did something that was very unique in that situation. Let me close this by kind of tying back to my family. This next slide, uh, slide 18. Uh, it's interesting. You didn't have to tell this family to smile. They smiled. You know, if you start on the left-hand side, that's my, my Aunt Isa. Aunt Isa Drennan Arnold. Drennan being her maiden name. My mother in the middle, Naomi Drennan Reimers. Uh, my older aunt, mom's older sister, Nina Drennan Lawton. My dad, I believe, was the first one that named them the Grinnin Drennans. <laughs> and, and every time I think of any of those sisters, I think of a smile. Six sisters, one brother. Their brother was the oldest, Vaughn. And it's interesting to see that uh, my grandfather was primarily a farmer, and he was in a situation where he needed help. And he got that son in, in Uncle Vaughn. But then he got six girls. <laughs> my mom's middle name is Johnetta. <laughs> you know, she worked the dairy with him at uh, Fort Lewis. Uh, at Fort Lewis Dairy at Hesper's Camp. Um, and when Dad proposed to her and she accepted, he asked permission from my, my grandfather to be. And he said, who's going to run the dairy? <laughs> He's lost again. He's losing his big help. It's an interesting thing to look at. Um, this is at their home in Littleton, Colorado. Reverend Kenny, my uncle Kenny and Isa's house. I believe it was in the 70s, the late 70s. Let me summarize what's happening here. If I can put it in perspective to where I'm at with my walk with God. As Jarrett says in our elder meetings a lot, let's put a bow on this one. The Christmas package is wrapped. Let's put a bow on it and get rid of it. Let me, let me summarize what I'm saying. God took a busted up old engineer and he said, Dennis, it's not about you. Here's what I want you to do. God surrounded me with mentors to accomplish his task. A lot of those mentors I had no idea were mentoring me at the time they were. But he's put me in the perfect situation now to accomplish what he wanted to do. Again, the thing he, he hammered into me, Dennis, it's not about you. I believe there's another slide there. Uh, yes, uh, slide 17. Go back one. This is my grandfather, my mom's parents. This is uh, John L. Drennan and Edith L. Drennan. Um, if you look at the places where my grandfather worked, he worked wherever he could find work. They were very modest people. They were people that didn't have a whole lot to, to, to live off of. By most standards, they were extremely poor. Mom said, she can't, you can't phantom what it was like for them. But they said sometimes for a snack, we'd get a teaspoon of flour. <laughs> it kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? They lived in eastern Colorado. I think that's where they were married, originally from Kansas. They lived in Gallup, McPhee Reservoir. There was a McPhee pretty active community, a logging camp back there. Of course, the Fort Lewis Dairy at Hesperus. The La Plata County Airport, he was actually working at the airport at the current site uh, back when I was just a little boy, late, late 50s and the 60s. My piece of heaven here on earth is a piece of property just outside of Oxford, 40 acres. 
that if you know the story, God told us about that property before we left even Alaska. That literally was in their backyard, a piece of property that he would have died to have had, and God blessed me with that. Those connections are there. My grandma Drennan, um, Edith Troutman, I always pictured, and it may or may not be true, that she came from a, a background with some money, some, some, some uh, fun, you know, resources with her family. But she didn't have that in, that in this life with her husband, and with the kids, with seven kids. But uh, at her death, uh, she died very similar to where my, my Aunt Isa died. But my uncle told me that underneath her bed was a box, and it had all these, I think they were hand-drawn and pictures of nice houses, of nice things that she wanted. She, it was her treasure. She didn't share that with anybody until her death. She got that reward in heaven. I'm absolutely convinced of that. One of the stories, and I'll end with this, is that my grandfather, when we got a phone at our house, he would come to the house, and we were at my uh, mother's house yesterday celebrating her 88th birthday. We celebrated a day early. This is my mom's 88th birthday. I think they're watching online, so I'm not going to make you sing happy birthday to her. But he would come to the house, and he'd have a phone number, and he wanted to call somebody. And it was make amends of somebody he had offended, somebody that he had done wrong, somebody that he wanted to lead to Christ. That's the depth of where Christ was in these people's life. That's the depth of what my eyes had. Teresa and I uh, would not be married today if it wasn't for my mother. Um, we were in, lived in Denver. Uh, we were in a situation where I was at a church. I was single. The church was having all kinds of problems. And I remember talking to my mom saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. I hate to, to cut bait and run, but this thing is not going to get resolved. And she said, Dennis, go to this church. It's in your area. It's close. Go to Applewood Baptist Church. And I remember setting up in the balcony, looking down at the choir. And over on this side, I believe, there was a young lady, Teresa. God took a long route to get us together, but that was our first, first time that we were put together. All through what your mother provided. It's an amazing situation. It's a situation that's there. And Isa, enjoy your stay in heaven. Your mantle fits nicely. Awesome.